Okay, the phone is recording. It's time to get serious. Stop smiling. Okay, very good. So, taking what you guys have talked about a little bit, um, it seems like the questions are from how do we move from a, what one could call a negative mind space into a positive mind space. Um, negative mind space in this definition being a mind that is agitated, irritated, has pain, has thoughts that are uh, painful, distracting, difficulties. And what are some techniques that one could use to also shift the mind into a place that feels more positive? Positive means maybe uh, like peaceful, happy, optimistic, joyful, open. So if we want to use the words positive and negative, although I really never talk about those words because they imply judgment. When we hear positive and negative, it often implies judgment. And I actually really um, don't like using judging terms for the mind because often um, we'll take the, the term negative mind and we'll deem it as bad or unwanted or something we want to get rid of or get away from. But if you really see yourself as an emotional being, you know, if you see like in therapy they talk about the inner child, right? So if we have like a little child in us that's like our emotional body um, and that child feels hurt and that child feels sad um, you feel hurt, you feel sad, right? So to call that negative is actually really destructive and harmful because really that place needs love. Very often the things that we're trying to get rid of, the things that in our, in our kind of psychodynamic, things that are happening inside of our psychology, um, a lot of the difficulties we have, a lot of the things that we are working against, fighting against, trying to shift, trying to transform the things we don't like, things we don't want, the things that are painful, are often actually things that need love and healing and acceptance. And they actually need our presence. They need us to be there for ourselves. Um, you know, if, um, if somebody, if I go up to somebody and I want a hug and I want love or I want something and they push me away no get away from me I don't like you I don't want to be with you right so I'm already pushed away once and now I have these feelings that come up of sadness feelings of hurt right and then what do people do with feelings of sadness and hurt then they try to push those feelings away so it's like it's like that little kid it got pushed away by this person that you know you want love and now you're pushing it away as well right you're giving it that same kind of energy back just pushing away pushing away pushing away and um, and I think it's really important to realize that Often, underneath anger, there's sadness, right? Often there's hurt. Often there's a feeling of helplessness, a feeling of vulnerability, a feeling of powerlessness, a feeling of injustice. Anger is an energy that sets boundaries. It says something's not okay. If you look at babies, you look at dogs, right? They set boundaries when they're afraid, when something doesn't feel good in them, when they're trying to protect themselves, right? So anger, it's protective. So if you feel that you need to protect, then taking a step back, it's like, well, why do I need to protect? 
And it's usually because then you feel vulnerable. Um, so if there's a dog, you know, if that dog is injured, it'll be even more protective, right? If that dog's hurt, it won't let you even get near it, it won't let you touch it, right? So, um, so really, when you feel anger and you feel, um, you know, an, an irritated mind in that sense, it's always helpful, I found, to take first that one step backwards and say, what, why am I angry? Why am I irritated? What's really going on? And not to say, why am I angry? Well, it's because he did this. It's because they did this. Because this person did this, right? It's like, no, no, no. You know, you're angry because, you know, you feel mistreated. You feel unloved. You feel unfair. You feel like something powerless. You feel you wanted something, but you got something else. So really kind of coming back to how do I, how do I feel? How do I feel? What is my feeling? Taking away the projection from the outside that caused that feeling in your mind, right? That thing caused it. But okay, but what do, how did that thing make me feel? If a, a bear came through the door and started roaring, I'd be afraid, right? And I could say that I'm afraid and it's that bear made me afraid. But I could say, well, it's more that that bear came through the door and then I became afraid because I suddenly realized that I'm not really that strong. Like a bear is huge and has claws and teeth. So in that moment, I felt powerless. I felt vulnerable. Right? I felt afraid. Right? So, so although the bear is, is a real thing and it triggered those feelings in me, but ultimately that bear is out of my control. That happens. Life happens around us. You drive down the highway and people honk at you and they yell at you and people in your life hurt you and things happen. You know, it's all part of the story, but ultimately you have to turn inwards and, well, what do I feel about that? What, what did that do to my feelings? How do I feel? Yeah, so starting to kind of own that stuff, to take it back, to really see what are my feelings underneath that. What do I need? Yeah, how do I need? And sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes we need to share. Sometimes we need a hug. Sometimes we need, like, ice cream and Netflix. Like, I don't know. Like, sometimes you need different stuff to kind of get through it. But first step is really taking it off of the outside story and owning that stuff. I think that's, like, a really big first step. First, in just being an adult, first just growing up and, and owning your feelings. But also, really, the path of healing can only happen when you've really owned your side of anything. Yeah. So, I would say that when we, when we start kind of owning our feelings and coming inward, that's, you know, when I talk about the shift from negative to positive, um, that's the shift because you're you're not now fighting against stuff. You're not in battle mode. You're now in licking the wounds mode. You're now in taking care. You're giving care into your system. You're, you're caring into it. And, um, and that starts to already make the shift because you start giving the energy that you want. You want to feel cared for and you weren't cared for on the outside. But now you start giving yourself that caring energy, right? Um, so the shift kind of starts to happen when you start owning the feelings, taking taking that on, but then really starting to give yourself whatever it is that, that you need, right? Um, so in the practice of meditation, you know, it's really, um, it's really powerful in the sense that you get instant karma. And when I say instant karma, because karma is cause and effect, yeah? So I, the room was dark, so I turned on the light, and then the light came on in the room. 
So the light in the room, right, that's like the karma of, that I turned the thing. So that was the, that was the effect of my action, right? So actions have effects that create, you know, an effect that changes the situation. So when you sit down to meditate, you're put immediately in touch with your own mind, with your thoughts, with your feelings, with the place that you've brought yourself to, so to say, or the place that the decisions of, of your entire life have brought you to whatever's going on right in this one moment. You could trace everything back, and it's all kind of connected to, to every decision you've ever made for your whole life. You know, I've thought about it once in terms of, like, fault and blame. And it's like, you know, if, if somebody's sitting in a parked car and I plow into the back of their car, um, you know, very clearly that would be called my fault. However, if you really look at it from, like, a cosmic perspective, it's like, well, why were you parked there in your car? You know, that for me to hit you, you had to have also been there. Yeah, so it's, if you talk about fault... It's like, yeah, like on one hand, sure, I'm at fault because I hit your car that was parked. But on the other hand, well, you, for whatever reason, through, you know, your um, series of choices, I think there's like the, you know, the, one of those like movies like Gwyneth Paltrow or something like Sliding Doors where she like goes to a train and the doors close. She doesn't get in the train and then all the stuff happens and she ends up like going back to her apartment and finds her husband's like cheating on her and has like this whole thing. And then... Uh, and then it kind of like rewinds, and then it shows her like getting to the train, but then she makes it through the door, and then it shows what happens if she did make it. So it showed like if just one little thing changes in the course of your day, that it has this like very different outcome into, you know. So if you really look very clearly at this moment, at any moment, any given moment, we'll just say this moment, you could actually see that every single choice that you've ever made since you were born, pretty much, has led you to be sitting right here. Right? So this is a result of our karma. And when you close your eyes and you're in there with your mind, all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the stuff that's coming up, it's also your karma. So if you've been like listening to a song a lot, that song might come up in your head. If you've just been in a fight with somebody, right, that's going to come up in your, head, in your mind. Um, I was saying that you know, this morning I was driving, so I, I ate a big piece of bread with like a big slice of brie, uh, camembert in it. Right? That, and now I feel that as I'm sitting here in my stomach, and that's like, you know, knocking on the door of my stomach saying like, hey, what did you do that for, right? So that's my karma. What's happening, that's my bodily karma. I did something to my body and now my body's having an effect. But there's karma that gives us results that is painful. The Buddha actually said there's, there's four different kinds of, um, I don't even know what these would be called, but he said there's, there's pain that leads to more pain. He said there's pain that leads to pleasure. There's pleasure that leads to pain, and there's pleasure that leads to more pleasure. Okay, did you get that? So pain that leads to pain, pain that leads to pleasure, pleasure that leads to pain, pleasure that leads to pleasure. So what could examples of these be, right? So for instance, pain that leads to more pain. If you, uh, you know, if you're chopping something in the kitchen, you accidentally chop your finger, right? That's a, you did an, a painful action, and that's just going to keep hurting. And you're going to go on this for like days. It's going to keep hurting. So you did a painful action, and that's going to keep being painful, painful. What's a painful action that leads towards pleasure? Maybe something like going to the gym, right? Overcoming an obstacle, going through something that's really difficult for you, something that's scary. Um, pushing yourself a little bit, running, hiking, things like this. You see it on the body level really clearly. Uh, maybe sitting in meditation for a lot of people, really painful. It hurts their legs. It's uncomfortable. They're restless, whatever. But on the other side of that, there's, there's pleasure, there's happiness, there's joy, there's, 
there's a, a benefit from it, right? Then there's pleasure that leads to pain. Yeah, I could say for myself that like some days when I just sit home and decide to like watch movies on my computer or something, right? I'm like tired. I'm like, oh, and I'll just sit there and I'll like watch movies and, you know, and I'll just start to feel more and more kind of sleepy and apathetic and I'll have like pains in my back a little bit. And it's something that was like pleasurable when it started. It seemed like it was the thing that I wanted to do, but then it actually just led me to a, a place where I just felt depressed. It led me to depression, right? Um, I think a lot of people, like when they're trying to, you know, in, in their diets, they, they talk about this a lot, that they like eat something, you know, something that's really unhealthy but tastes really good, something they're craving, they eat it. But then afterwards, right, there, they feel sick. Or even if you're lactose intolerant, you go get ice cream, then you have stomach ache afterwards, right? So it's pleasurable, and it's like, oh, but ultimately it leaves you in a painful spot, right? And then there's things that are pleasurable that lead to more pleasure, right? And this could be something like taking a hot bath before you go to bed, right? This could be something like giving somebody a present. It feels really good to share something, right? And then afterwards, in remembering it, it's like, oh, that was really nice. Or saying something beautiful to somebody. You know, then it, it strengthens your relationship with that person. That um, in meditation, when you sit and you relax, when you start to relax, it starts to feel good. And that feeling of goodness starts to gather the mind in. And then the mind starts to increase its pleasure because it's just like a, a feedback loop of really just enjoying where it is, right? So when we talk about like the mind being restless and thinking a lot, the mind thinks because it's not satisfied. If you really see what the mind is doing, what is the mind thinking about? Yeah, The mind is thinking about the past. What about the past? Usually it's unresolved things of the past. There's not many people sitting here in meditation and thinking about like, oh, how beautiful this thing. No, it's always like the stuff that hasn't been resolved. What are we thinking about the future? Unresolved stuff in the future, stuff that we're worried about, stuff that we're planning, stuff that we're unsure about, that we're afraid of, that we're intimidated by. Yeah, so all the stuff in the future, it's coming up. It's like, ugh. Or we think about fantasies, which are not necessarily things that are going to happen in the future. But our mind goes into fantasies, things that we want. But why would your mind need to fantasize unless it wasn't actually content where it was? Right? then the mind could get tired, right? What is a tired mind? Tired mind is an overactive mind. Yeah, because you've been pushing yourself too much, you sit to meditate, and the mind's like, oh, you know, or maybe your body's sick, and, oh, and your mind gets tired, right? So that's another way that the mind tries to shut down. It's tired, so it tries to get away. What's a restless mind? That's a mind that feels so unsafe, uncomfortable, unhappy in this moment that it's trying to get away, get away. Anyway, think, 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 just moving, just to move, stimulation. So if you look at all of the movements of the mind, you can see that any of the mind's movements actually are born out of an unsatisfactoriness. Yeah, if this moment was purely satisfying, the mind would just stay. And again, I tell people, like, if you're at the beach, if you're sitting by a swimming pool, if you're in the forest, if you're with a loved one, if you're just somewhere that feels really nice, your mind is completely present. You're just there in that moment, in that situation. That's why it feels really surreal sometimes when you're in these beautiful moments because your mind just opens up. It's completely there, right? So for myself, when I say that, when I meditate and my mind stops thinking, right? So I'll sit down and there'll be some stray thoughts, of course, right? There are things going by. But then my mind just it opens up and it, oh, it feels relaxed. It feels nice to sit here. Yeah, and then it starts to feel relaxed. And then I feel kind of like my 
my relaxation. I feel the space around me. Yeah, and normally where there would be thoughts, instead it's like my mind becomes the space. It's almost like my head expands and becomes the whole room. There was a, um, a group of, uh, I think it was Taoists, no, uh, Confucian students that went up to see a Taoist master who was doing kind of like a retreat up in his hermitage. So the students are kind of going up, these like scholars or whatever, the students, they're going up, and the Taoist master is sitting up in, the, in his hut, and he sees the students coming, and he laughs to himself, and he quickly takes off all of his clothes, and then he sits there. And the Confucian students, they kind of knock on the door. He's like, oh, come in. And they come in, and he's just sitting there naked in the middle of his room. And they're like, sir, why are you sitting in the middle of the, the hut without your pants on? And he just said, this hut is my pants. The universe is my room. The question is, what are you doing in my pants? <laughs> and it's all about being able to expand it, right? It's like you're expanding it out. I feel really that when I sit, it's not like I'm trapped in this little head with these thoughts. I really open it up that this room becomes my head, that my head fills with the space of the room. Yeah, that I'm not focused on these little thoughts coming up and down. They still kind of move and they try and they float by. That's just kind of the stray energies of your day. Yet, I don't know many people that will just sit and the second they close their eyes, it's just blank. You know, it usually takes a little while, but it's all about where you focus. It's where you put your attention. If you put your attention in the space, then the space is what strengthens. If you put your attention in the thinking, the thinking is what strengthens. Yeah, so with everything, in our mind. It's all just kind of a creation. If you can imagine just like a, a, a plate of clay on the table, you know, you build all these structures out of the clay. So you have all these stories, all these feelings, all these thoughts, all these things. And then when you meditate, it's kind of like you just, they just all kind of get smushed back down and just become the, this nothing, this goo, right? That the mind, all these things, uh, I don't know if anyone saw the movie like The Abyss, like back in the day. Um, but there is a scene where, um, so something about like they're in a submarine and like, like weird things were happening. But in one scene, water, there's like a pool and water kind of comes up out of the pool. And, it, and it's almost like it looks like this big like snake almost, but it's just made of water. And then it kind of goes through like the submarine. And then it eventually like looks at a girl and it like changes so it looks like her face and stuff. And it's just water, but it's kind of taking on all these forms. And then eventually, like, they get freaked out and they slam the door and then it just crashes to the ground as water. It just becomes water again. And the mind is the same way. It's that there's kind of the, the mind material, if you will. It comes up and it builds these shapes, these forms, these thoughts, these stories. The mind material forms these things, these, right, that we're witnessing. Yeah, but also if you just don't react to them, you don't pay attention to them, you're not interested to them, they just, again, rejoin the whole mind. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's like a self, you know, it's like the, the waves on the ocean. You know, the waves in the ocean, they rise, and then they fall back, and they become again the ocean, and then they rise, and they fall back and become the ocean. <clears throat> what we often do is the wave rises, right? So a thought, a story, something comes up, and then we kind of like hold it, and we keep hitting it, and we keep thinking with it, right? So we're kind of keeping it afloat. We're keeping that shape of that wave going, and we keep making more and more. 
in Buddhism they call it proliferation because you're keeping it going. You keep thinking with that thought. You keep thinking, feeling with that feeling. So you proliferate it. So that shape keeps going, 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 going. But when you really just relax and you feel the space around you and you just smile, you allow yourself to feel good sitting here, all of that kind of comes to a rest by itself. There are different like mantras, different breathing methods, different practices that people do, um, counting. You know, these are all, I would call them like, um, in Buddhist meditation, these are all called entry, there's like different entry points. I know there's like kundalini meditation and different meditation schools. That breathing, it's like a really big thing. Like they, they have certain kinds of breath to move energies and emotions and blocks and stuff through them. But, um, but in the way that I learned Buddhist meditation, the breath, it's just something to put the mind on. It's just an automatic process that's happening and it's kind of calming. And you can just rest the mind on that breathing as you're sitting there. When I first learned meditation, my mind was so restless that I would count. I would count like I'd breathe in and out and I'd say one, in and out, and I'd say two, in and out, I'd say three. You know, and I'd count up to like seven and then I'd start again at one and then one to seven and then again at one. So there's different methods like this that you can use, like you can count or you could, as you're breathing in, in say in your mind, in, and as you breathe out, say out, you know, um, or you breathe in and you say like relax and you breathe out and you say peace. And there's all sorts of different kind of mental games you can play. And one of the most powerful, you know, mantras, I think I said this before, but is when I was in the monastery and my teacher told me to, to practice as I was breathing to say good enough. Yeah, to say good enough. It's good enough. Because I was really trying to meditate and he'd say, it's good enough. What you're doing is already good enough. Stop trying. It's good enough. Yeah, but I want to get deeper. Yeah, but it's good enough. Yeah, but I can't sit that long. Yeah, well, how long you sit is good enough. That everything that comes up in my mind, the sentence good enough, just completely disarms it. Because I have a mind and my specific mental sickness is that it always thinks something is not okay, something has to be fixed, something has to be changed. And the sentence good enough, for me personally, it was like it's like the exact antidote to my personal kind of control freak. Because it's just saying that it's good enough, it's fine. Relax, Seth, it's okay. Yeah, and still to this day, like that mantra good enough, it's something that I know that I can depend on to kind of for my personal system to kind of bring me down. And I think for each person, you probably have your own. There's probably like one specific sentence you could find, one specific way that it would give a mental cue to completely disarm. You know, the mind's constantly trying to get something, to get somewhere, thinking that there's something out of this moment that it's needed to, to find. Um, yeah, I see like on the walls here, there are these flowers. And I'm reminded in Tibetan, um, there's the mantra, Om Mani Padme Hom, which is the mantra of compassion. This is kind of the mantra when you pray for all living beings, the Dalai Lama, you know, it's on the prayer wheels and things like this. It's Om Mani Padme Hom. And when you deconstruct that mantra, so Om in, uh, I think in like Hindu, so Om, it was kind of the, there was first Brahma, so there was first like God, they say. There was God, but God existed in a void. There was nothing else. So for God to see himself, he had to create something else. He had to create a reference point because it had to be God and then something. So he let out an Om, and the Om was this vibration, which is actually what this whole universe is. This whole universe is the Om in manifest that God created so God could experience himself. This is kind of, and that philosophy, what, what this is. So Om is just kind of opening up the energies. It's just connecting to everything, Om. 
right? And then it's mani, padme, and then home. Home, it's like, so be it. So it is, like, amen. It's just like the ending, right? So the, the meat of that mantra, it's mani, padme. So mani means jewel. The word mani means jewel. And padme comes from like padma, like padmasambhava. So it means uh, lotus, yeah? So, all, so when they're saying, Om Mani Padme, Om Mani Padme, Om Mani Padme, and they're chanting 100,000 millions of these mantras, spinning the prayer wheels and all this for, you know, world peace and all this, you know, what they're really saying is jewel lotus, jewel lotus, jewel lotus. Yeah. And I've heard some different kind of explanations about what different people say this means or what they think it means. Um, but the most beautiful one I heard was from one of my teachers, Achim Brahm. I think he was the one that said it. And he was saying, well, if you think about the opening of a lotus, because the lotus, first of all, lotuses, they grow out of mud. If you've ever seen a lotus pond, they don't grow in like nice clear water and lakes and stuff. They grow in like really gross, like stinky, like swampy, muddy waters, right? So they grow out of like really gross conditions, right? And then they come up and then they come to the surface and there are these really beautiful big buds that are like this. Actually, sometimes they say when you fold your hands like this, you fold your hands in prayer, they say that's actually a lotus. So it's like you're holding, it's like your hands are like a lotus bud, right? So like namaste, right? It's almost like you're saying like, I recognize the potential in you. I recognize the lotus inside of you as well, right? But this is like the lotus bud. And again, if you've ever seen a lotus, one of the cool things about them, especially the leaves, and if you drip water on them, um, water just beads right off of them and falls off. So it's really cool. If you, put, if you pour water on a lotus leaf, it just beads and runs off. It can't stick to it. Same with the flower. It can't stick to it. So even though lotuses grow in the mud, when they come up, nothing, even water, can't stick to it. It's like this amazing, completely, yeah, stick-proof surface, whatever that is. So what happens with lotus is that as the sun shines on the lotuses, they start to open up. And they have that really hard, like, protective external layer, right? Nothing can stick to it. But as they start opening, there's just all these petals, like just thousands of petals. It's crazy. All these petals, and it keeps like unfolding layers and layers and layers more and more and more and more and more and opening. It's all these petals. And the more it kind of gets into like the good stuff in the middle, the more the petals get very tender. The more the petals get very fragrant, the more the petals get very like delicate and, and beautiful. And he was saying like, when you start to meditate, this is what starts to happen to the present moment that you'll be sitting here in the present moment at first feels like, like maybe it's like a swamp, it's like muddy and like uh, gross, right? And then you'll get to a point where you'll be sitting and you'll be breathing and it feels like things are kind of like just running off the present, like it feels okay, you're more or less present. Yeah, things are kind of coming and going. Yeah, but then it starts to open up and deepen and it starts to feel better and starts to, and then you get like deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like the moment literally unfolds. It's like the moment unfolds and you get deeper into this moment. I know for myself, like when I was in the monastery and I got into really deep meditation, sometimes I'd just open my eyes when it was done and my clock would be in front of me. And the minutes, it seemed like the minutes were ticking by like seconds. Like I would just like see the clock and it would just be like, you know, 605, 6.06, 6.07. You know, just in that state, because I'd already had been sitting for maybe like two hours or something and you could just... It, it just takes on a whole different level. Time stretches, and it's really amazing because you're so deeply content and you're so deeply in the moment that everything kind of shifts. It's like this beautiful timelessness that happens with it. 
So in the heart of the lotus, if the lotus opens, 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 it's like there's a jewel in the center of that lotus. Yeah, there's a cent in the center of this moment, there's a jewel. Yeah, there's this beautiful jewel, and they say it's like a wish-fulfilling jewel. Because everything you've ever wished for, your deepest heart's wish, is actually only to feel that total peace and contentment. Anything you've ever wanted, it's because you feel incomplete without that thing. And when you want something, you're getting burned by that grasping. You're getting burned by that feeling of wanting. And you need to get that thing that you want to put out that fire inside you. So we're always focused on getting these objects, these things, positions, relationships, experiences, to be able to kind of quench that burning inside of us. But when you actually get deeper into meditation, you just let the burning go from itself. You realize it's not about the object and that burning, it goes away. And then there's just the contentment as if you've gotten everything you've wanted because there's no more conflict between the present moment and what you want or what you think you need to be happy. That conflict goes away and you're just fully and deeply here and you couldn't be happier and there's nothing else that you would even want. Yeah, it's part of why I teach meditation is because I've experienced these states and I just come out of it and I just be like shining and smiling and just this. And then on reflection, like I at the same time want to just start crying because it's so beautiful and profound, but also I know how desperately other people need to feel this and how desperately like I want other people to feel it, right? Yeah, so it's again like the wanting, right? But it's that, it's that real deep, and I would say it was even like a compassionate thing because it really came to a point where I felt how this is what I've been looking for my whole life and how painful my life had been up to that point and realizing that, no, it's just right there. And that just like felt this like immediate empathy with all other people that are always struggling and trying and reaching and, and suffering and not realizing that there's actually nowhere that you have to go to get this, you know. So it's a jewel in the heart of that lotus, right? In the center of this present moment, there's actually that thing that we want. But it's a, it's a hard one because you first have to really give up. You first have to really accept that it's not out there. You first really have to say to yourself, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to lay everything down. You know, so this teacher, Achan Cha, he said, you know, if you let go a little, you get a little peace. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you get complete peace. Right? So it's really up to you. The amount that you can let go of, you'll sit here and you've let go of like, you know, the outside a little bit. You close your eyes, you let go of the room. Then your thoughts come up a little bit. You let go. Memories come up. You let them go. Different things come up and they're trying to say to you, well, you have to think about me. Only when you've resolved me, then you can get that. Only when you figured me out, then. And those things go on forever. I mean, I'll tell you, I, you know, months and years of just those voices. And a lot of them, you know, fair enough. Like, they're things you haven't dealt with and you've just shoved down inside of yourself, so they're coming up. But it also gets to a point where you say, you know, because every day I'm still living, there's always going to be new stuff coming in. So there's no end to that, really. You know, so there really gets to a point where you, you deal with stuff to a point where you're like, okay, actually, you know, a lot of the... the the gross stuff has been dealt with. A lot of the biggest issues have been dealt with. But I see that it keeps going, 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 getting more and more and more subtle. And that's this purification process. That's also why meditation spills into your daily life because they complement each other. Eventually you start living your life in a more peaceful, balanced way because 
you know what it feels like to be out of balance by sitting here. Yeah, and eventually they start to work together. Um, but really it gets to the point where you'll be sitting here and you'll say, the thought will come up and you'll, you'll just know that's not, that's not the answer. Resolving that thought is not going to get me anywhere. Yeah, resolving that feeling is not going to get me anywhere. Chanting this mantra, doing this thing, none of, that, none of these methods, it's not about methods, none of these methods are actually going to get me anywhere. And listening to myself is not going to get me anywhere. None, nothing is going to get me anywhere. That you really give up. You hit this wall and you say, nothing's going to work, nothing matters, I can't help myself, so just stop trying. And you just let it go. You let everything down. Yeah. And then a lot of that stuff stops trying to get your attention. We just listened to a um, Louis C.K. comedy. He has on Netflix. He has like a comedy special. It's great. And he said, you know, if all the people that really cared about life um, just died, they just weren't here anymore. He said, for instance, like ISIS, they would lose. Because they'd take somebody and they'd say, okay, we're going to chop your head off. And the person would go, eh, okay. And they'd be like, what, what do you mean okay? No, we're going to chop your head off. And he'd be like, yeah, okay. You know, and suddenly they would lose their power. Because like a terror group only has power because you're terrified. They only have power because you don't want them to be doing what they're doing. If you don't really care, they don't, like they're... It's like you've disarmed them. You've taken their power away. Yeah? And this is the same thing with the mind. It's like you take its power away. And this is why I was saying, like, in all the other... This is class five, right? So I've been saying in the other classes, the same kind of thing. Like, whatever comes up, even if it's anger, even if it's hatred, it's pain, it's all this stuff, you're like, hey, welcome. Thanks for coming. Nice. Oh, I'm thinking a lot. Great. Thoughts. Nice to see you, thoughts. That whatever comes up, you don't fight it. You really just welcome it and you accept it and you're like, yeah, join the... Join the parade. Come on in, everybody. Because you can't do anything about it anyway. But what that does is all that stuff loses its power. Because if you're fighting it, then you're giving it power. If you don't want it, it has power. But when you really invite it in, when you accept it, when you allow, you disarm all that stuff. There's nothing, nothing can touch you. Um, I think uh, there's a teacher, I think maybe it was Nasargadat. He said, your problem is not that you want too much. He said, your problem is that you don't want enough. Think about that. Your problem is not that you want too much. Your problem is that you don't want enough. Because if we wanted everything, if we wanted everything that came to us, everything we felt, all of our experiences, there'd be no problem. If you really wanted everything that came to you, you would have no problem. You would be at peace. Yeah? So it's not about trying to want less, want less, want less. Maybe it's the other way. Maybe it's actually want everything that you have. Want all your feelings, all your experiences. I'm in a fight with that person. Great, want that fight. Yeah, I'm sad. Great, want that sadness. Whatever comes, want it. Right? Because then it loses its power. Because then there's not a fight inside of you. Then you're not fighting. Then you're already at peace because you've already surrendered. Yeah? And this is really something that every person has to find for themselves. Like, I could sit up here all day long and say the same thing. Like, I think, actually, if you listen back over the five, five talks, I've said literally the same thing every single time in, like, little variations. But I'm giving the same message again and again and again. And it's always kind of the same questions from this group, right? It's actually, it's, like, just back and forth. But, yeah, it takes time. It takes practice. You know, um, it, it's, a, it's a marinating process. 
I have to keep giving the same energy again and again and again. And your mind has to keep receiving it. And your mind is like, huh? How does this, what? That Want pain? What? That doesn't make sense. I don't want pain. I'm suffering. Why would I want pain? That's crazy talk. You know, but that's the point is that within our system, it doesn't make sense. But our system is why we're suffering. You know, I had a man come up to me. He wrote to me and he's like, I want it. I do energy healings. He's like, I want a healing. And, he, and I called him on the phone. And he said all this stuff. Da, 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 and, and yeah, I don't think this stuff's good. And that stuff, and this doesn't work. And that doesn't work. And, you know, you're giving healings. I don't even really know if that's going to work or not. And I said, are you happy with your life right now? And he's like, no. And I was like, and you're aware that your life is a creation of yours? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, so all of your beliefs and all of your thoughts are creating the life that makes you miserable? He said, yeah. And I said, so stop believing it. Then why are you fighting against this thing that could help you saying, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. And it's like, you're saying to me that this system is hurting me, and yet you're defending the system. The system being his own mind, his own belief structures, his own way of doing things, his own habitual ways of living life. He said that I am hurting myself by the way that I live my life. And I said, well, why don't you try that? And he goes, oh, I don't believe in that. That's not going to work. You know. So on one hand, he, he sees that the structure he's in is hurting him, but on the other hand, he's not allowing himself to look outside and beyond that structure. This is also why like, people often have to go to therapy. It's because like, within your structure, you can't see anything outside of your structure. You sometimes need an outside impulse to come and like, kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, like, look over here. Yeah, so a lot of the information we hear seems counterintuitive at first. It seems counterintuitive because it doesn't make sense because it's different than any way we would have tried to do it. But that's the point, that when we're left to our own devices, we often just end up in suffering. When we're left to our own devices, we're often just left in a place where we feel broken and upset and lost. Yeah. So sometimes we need to really take an information that maybe doesn't make sense, but just see and like, okay. And what I found with this practice is that at first it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. But then I tried it, and then I felt a little bit calmer, and I felt a little bit more happy, a little bit more spacious. I was like, okay. So I tried a little bit more. I felt a little bit more calm. And I just kept going. And at every step, I said to myself, if this is the last step, then I'll abandon this path. But I've seen that it just keeps going and going and going and going. And then that's when faith develops. That's when you start to gain faith. You start to gain belief. You start to really know for yourself this works. You start to be able to give yourself fully into it. And you start to know how it works. So then you don't really need a teacher anymore because then you start to already, ah, oh, okay, you can go with the flow of it. You don't need somebody to keep pushing you in that direction to build up momentum. Like those cars, right, you have as a kid, it's like, and then you let it go and then it goes forward, you know, that you have to run it on the ground a few times to build up the momentum inside the tires and then you can let it go and it can run. That's like what I'm trying to do here. That's like what a guided meditation or a talk is. It's like trying to give you some momentum that when you walk out of this room, you start going in a direction. You can start moving. Yeah. And ultimately, when you start going in that direction, that's when you're supposed to go, oh, this direction works. And then you're supposed to start running those tires by yourself. Right? Then you kind of take over the, the power for yourself. And then you start going. You're like, oh, this is good. This feels good. I'm meditating because this feels good. I'm letting go because I know that happiness happens when I let go. The peace you feel at the end of this meditation class is, is nothing to do with me has nothing to do with the groups, nothing to do with this room. 
It's because you've let go, you've relaxed, and that's why you feel peaceful when you leave here every week. Yeah? So just make that as a mental note. When I relax, when I let go, that's where the peace is. It's not, yeah, but I have to solve all this stuff first. No. When you let go, there's the peace. If you want to solve that stuff, that stuff's going to be sitting there waiting for you for the rest of your life, I promise. There is an infinite amount of time to solve stuff, to sit and think about stuff. You could do that as much as you want. But if you're doing that all the time, you just get exhausted. Yeah? So... Take time to balance that with just laying it down, letting the waves kind of just relax into the ocean. Just everything that just come down, be one thing. And just let the mind kind of calm and relax and let go and heal itself and feel good, feel happy. Shift to positivity, a positive mind that feels happy, that's grateful for where it is. And then when you come back and look at that thing, you'll be like, you know what, it's actually not even that big a deal. It was only a big deal because I was just holding it in front of my face all day long. Actually, when you know that you can put it down, it's not scary anymore. It's only scary when it has power over you. It's not scary when you realize you can put it down. And then maybe you don't even pick it up again. You just say, okay, whatever. There's that thing. Yeah. So it's a process. It's a process. Yeah. But ultimately, again, it's a familiarization. It's learning this way. It's learning how to put things down. Finding whatever joy, whatever peace, whatever relaxation you can find in the moment and feeding that, going into that direction, letting that guide you, yeah, and letting that build more and more and more, right? So really finding your own path towards peace and relaxation within that. And if at any given moment you're sitting and you're stressed and you're trying, you can't relax and you're tired and stuff's going up, then at least don't fight it. At least don't fight it. If you can't do anything good, at least don't fight it. At least just let it all be there and say, okay, okay, life, you're too much for me today. And this happens. I, this happens to me too. Some days I'm just overwhelmed with life. And I say, okay, today is an overwhelmed with life day. Okay. Yeah. Or an overwhelmed with life week or month. Yeah. Okay. I surrender. So... As the fifth class, we're going to meditate. Um, it's already 8.30, so we're going to meditate for the rest of class. We're going to sit here until 9 o'clock. You, you may. So you're all going to make sure you get in comfortable positions. If at all during the meditation you have to move and shift, you're allowed to. And I'll guide us in. I'll give some impulses in the meditation itself, and I'll guide us out. And I promise by the time it's over, you'll say, oh, that, that wasn't that bad at all, actually.